Well, I got a tip for you. If you do this, the world will step aside for you. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, I never get tired of hearing that. If you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul. Well, I'm hearing from lots of you. You know, we're right here at the end of the year. A lot of you just recognize it's time for a tune-up. Time for a little tweaking. Time for a little realignment since you have the results in for this year. So you can see what you need to do to tweak that. Well, we're going to be looking at that and a whole lot more. Here's some of the questions we're going to have the privilege of unpacking today. How about this one? How do you know when an opportunity is from God? Well, that's a pretty big question. We could just park there for a while. We'll just have some fun unpacking that at least in a little bit. Dan, I spent seven years getting a degree that I don't want to use. Dan, when you write, is it with a particular project in mind or you just do you just sit and write? Do I need a specific focus or can I just market myself as a good speaker? Here's one. My father-in-law is a hematologist and oncologist. He's 74 and still works seven days a week. How can I help him start a business that would allow him to stop trading time for money? Great questions as always, those and a whole lot more. Here's our quotation. I told you I'd have a tip for you. If you do this, the world will step aside. This comes from James Allen, who said, the world steps aside for the man who knows where he is going. That's all it takes. If you're clear on where you're going, if you're not a wandering generality, if you're not a generalist, if you know where you're going, hey, the world steps aside and watches you and wonder, wonders how you're so talented, why you're a genius. Well, clarity will do that for you. Well, again, thanks to all of you who are sending in notes about how to raise creative children. This is going to turn into be more than just a normal podcast segment, I suspect. Got some other surprises coming along that we're going to be releasing at the same time, but that'll be the November 20th podcast. And if you've got notes about how to raise creative or entrepreneurial children, send those in to kids at 48days.com. Now, with the quantity that we've got, it would comprise a book, and maybe that's what, in fact, it ought to be. But we're going to start at least with uh, having Joanne come in with me into the studio so we can talk about how we raised our kids and just talk about the fun process of raising kids that think creatively and can go on from there. Lots of success stories. Hey, let me just share a couple. Well, let me share just some of the some of the gifts that I've gotten this week. It always amazes me when UPS or FedEx comes whip, whip it up here and unloading things. This week I had a box that was really heavy and the guy says, man, that must be food or something. I said, you know, it probably is. Well, as a matter of fact, it was, it was four jars of Amish peanut butter sent in by Kevin Christian who lives in Sarasota, Florida and just asked, I think it was on a podcast question. And I said, oh man, I never get tired of the Amish peanut butter that comes from Der Dutchman there. Well, he sent me four jars of apple butter. Not, not peanut butter, yeah, apple butter. Got a gift box from Bethel Church full of candies, nuts, plaques, fruit, flowers for Joanne. 
I spoke there a couple weeks ago, and they were kind enough to send an amazing gift basket over that we enjoyed with a group of people that we had here. From Dave Osmond, I got two sets of really cool earbuds, just new earbuds that he's promoting. Thanks, Dave, for those. Chris McCluskey sent me a copy of Fahrenheit 451 based on a recent conversation we had in a mastermind about the fact that I don't enjoy um, fiction. And so he sent me that to read. Yes, I did read it. Thanks, Chris. I forced myself to read it. it. Well, it was an interesting book for sure, but I still have a hard time really getting engaged in fiction. I read lots and lots of nonfiction and find myself drawn back to that always. From Michael Bryan, I got four bags of resume soaps. Now, this is one of those ideas. I talked recently about a guy who had put his resume on the outside of a coffee bag and sent that out and about the amazing success that he got in job offers just because he was a little creative. Well, Michael's picked up on that. He um, sent me these bags. They have special special soaps in them with his resume on the outside, similar kind of idea. And he's actually putting together a package that he's going to promote to help other people have a kit to do a creative resume, which is really cool. We'll help promote that, Michael, when you've got that ready to go. Got a book and a t-shirt from Kevin Cruz, 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. He has a a t-shirt with 1440 on the front of it. That's how many minutes there are in a day. Just a a neat kind of promotional tie-in there. Got two books from Christina Lane. I talked about, um, I think I had a note from Christina last week. She moved from, well, this is where she spent seven years getting a degree that she's no longer using. I'll read that in a minute, but she sent me two beautiful, beautiful cookbooks, Dessert for Two, Comfort and Joy, and then uh, Cooking for Two. Um, With a note, Christina says, yes, I went to college for seven years to get my master's degree in agronomy. I worked at a large corporation for five years in the field of agricultural research. I loved working with plants, but ultimately wasn't as happy as I thought I would be. I was food blogging part-time. My food blog website is the same name as my first book, Dessert for Two. And as the traffic and income grew from my food blog, I was able to quit my job and focus on it full time. From there, an agent came calling and a cookbook deal. Then after a few TV appearances promoting the first book, the second book deal came. It all seems too good to be true because my true passion is cooking and scaling down recipes to serve too. I feel lucky and blessed beyond belief that this is my career. If you and Joanna River in St. Louis, I'd love to see you in my cooking classes that I teach in this city. Thanks again, Dan. You've permanently altered my life plan, and I can't thank you enough. You're doing such great work, and I'm so grateful to have discovered your books and podcasts. Well, thanks, Christina, for the for the books and the note. I love hearing that story. I had asked Christina specifically what it was that she studied for seven years because she alluded to that in a previous email. Hey, that's not a that doesn't mean it was a mistake. You know, that's part of who you are. That's how we all develop by doing things that help us clarify often what we don't want to do. But there's value in having done that. So a lot of you have degrees where you're no longer working specifically in that degree path. I mean, we know that's very common. Ten years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their college degree. And, and that's a story for another time. Uh, there's some challenges in that. But it's really okay. Don't beat yourself up if you got a degree in English Lit, you know, and now you have a landscaping service. I mean, that's okay. It's part of the development process to get you prepared and positioned where you are now. Well, a couple other things uh, come from the 
48days.net community, Jen McDonough, our eyes and ears over there, the director over there. She's doing interviews with people now on Periscope and on Zoom. And just did one, a really delightful interview with Jill Davis that I sat in and watched. She's doing one with Terry Hathaway to talk about the 48 Days Online workshops. Going to be doing that. She's going to be talking to Jane Atkinson, who wrote the book, The Wealthy Speaker, to talk about tips on building your speaking business. So keep your eyes and ears open. If you're a 48days.net member, you'll get those notices. But she's going to be interviewing those people with some new areas of expertise. Sam Burton said, I've spent months fretting over my lack of technical savvy for intros, bump music, editing, and so on. I recorded, deleted, started over, deleted again, rinsed and repeated till I was ready to give up. Finally, I just hit record and got the first podcast out of the way. It has more rough edges than a ripped up Fruit Loops box top, but I'll figure I'll take care of what I don't know as I learn. Sometimes in the early days, you miss the target, maybe even badly, but you'll never hit the bullseye until you pull the trigger. Well, congratulations, Sam, on getting your podcast out there. Hey, that's how we all start. My gosh, if I go back and listen to the very first ones, because I came off radio, I had kind of a running start. I had been on radio for six years, so I was used to being in that format, taking live listener questions on the air. So we just kind of made a, a subtle, soft move over into the podcasting realm. But most of us when look back at those early days, think, oh my goodness, how did anybody listen to that? But uh, you start, you just get in the game and start. Greg Davis, in the 48days.net community, uh, says, I'm thrilled that my company just won an International Davy Award for website design and the development of the Do It Outdoors billboard campaign located in Western Pennsylvania. That's cool. He says, had I not discovered Dan Miller in this community, this award probably would have gone to an employer because I still would have been stuck in a J-O-B. But as I listen, follow, and participate in this community, the achievement is something I can celebrate as an entrepreneur. Good things come to those who attend Coaching with Excellence. Well, thanks, Greg, for that note. Kamanzi Constable, you've heard me talk about his path to success, the amazing things that he's done. Uh, Jen asked him about clarification, where he talked about getting a speaking contract. And he said, yes, Jen, I was booked to speak at two of the company's offices in Madrid and Marrakech. Once in Madrid, the CEO offered me a contract to speak at his company's six other offices all throughout the world over the next year. The total contract is $100,000, plus they cover all my flights, hotel, food. I've also booked separate events in Israel, Egypt, London, and Ireland, all paid speaking events. Um, These companies and events found me through the articles I've written for Entrepreneur Magazine, The Huffington Post, Fox News, and more. Well, he's got an amazing story. You've heard me talk about him before, Kamanzi Constable. You can find him at his site or in the 48days.net community, sharing the things that he's doing, and launched himself as an author, speaker, coach, and coming from a background much like a lot of you guys have out there. He was driving a, a bread delivery truck in Wisconsin, decided he wanted a new life, got out of debt, Lost 170 pounds, moved his family to Maui, Hawaii. Just that kind of transformation that came from having a clear plan. Well, one more here. Uh, Gerard Turner uh, has recognized that a lot of businesses are struggling with their financial accounting. So he started a simple books service for those. Congratulations to him on doing that. Hey, one more note here too. I'll throw in. We now have 31 people who have completed the coaching, the 48 days coaching mastery program. 
that's pretty phenomenal. When Ashley and I started that, we thought we'd have a couple people in there at a time. It was people who had come to Coaching with Excellence, but really wanted to develop a serious coaching business. Well, we've had 76 people now who have come into that program, 48 Days Coaching Mastery Program, and 31 have completed it totally with all the requirements. Congratulations to them. Uh, we've got an event coming up here to celebrate their success and the kind of things that they're doing. And, and what's happening is those people are now saying, what's next? Those people are saying, how can I now develop content? How can I start using workshops to increase my income beyond what I'm getting from coaching and speaking as an example? But congratulations to all of those. We love moving those people through and seeing them with the stories of success that we get to share here week after week. Well, hey, we're going to wrap it up there and play the We Are the Champions. Got an interesting piece here I want to go into for a little bit to talk about something that I've been scratching my head about for a couple weeks now, having just returned from an event. I'll tell you about that and why it made me think. But if you get a story you want to share as a success story, just go to the 48days.com site, click on Ask Dan. You can share your success story there along with a question if you have that. Or just simply shoot me an email at askdan at 48days.com. Again, that's askdan at 48days.com. Now, I want to throw something in here that has just, it really has had me intrigued. Joanna and I just two weeks ago went to my high school class reunion. Now, we went, we drove over up to Harrisonburg, Virginia. So from Nashville, just straight over to Knoxville and 40 and then 81, right straight up to Harrisonburg, Virginia. Now, why would I go to high school in Harrisonburg, Virginia? I grew up in Ohio. Well, I went to Eastern Mennonite High School. Now, I, I, was, I was sent there as a disciplinary action, which I'll comment on a little bit more too. But I was sent there as a disciplinary action. So I, we were in a little town in Johnsville, Ohio, where I had gone from the first grade to the 10th grade. But then my parents sent me there because they were concerned about some of my activities and um, sent me to Eastern Mennonite High School for the last two years. So here I, I've gone to high school reunions recently with both of those groups. So the group that I grew up with in Johnsville, Ohio, we had a class of about 30. Now, this is a little town. You know, there's not even a stoplight there even today. It's just a little community. We had 30 in our class. Only two ever left town. That was me and one girl. I happened to be a girl that I dated. But she and I left town. The other 28 stayed there. To my knowledge, not one in that class went on to college. When we had the high school reunion, 100% of them were retired. They had put in their 30 years with a local factory or company, and now we're spending time, you know, doing very little. Several had already died. That was the composition. Now I just went to my high school class reunion in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Now this is, this is where I scratch my head. Now we had a class of about 74. But keep in mind, the Mennonites don't typically encourage advanced education. Uh, normally, they expect the boys to continue in the farming operations that dad has. The girls are encouraged to get married and have children. You don't think about the Mennonites, you know, turning out a large continuum of, you know, professionals. And yet here in my class, 
I mean, just listening to people talk in my class. We have nurses, physicians, accountants, building contractors, college professors, authors, pastors, video game developers, solar energy experts, psychologists, IT software developers, business owners. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. One of the physicians in there had a photography display up where he takes photographs of the patients. So often physicians are just scientists. They deal with the clinical aspects of medicine and forget that these are real people. He has photographs and then descriptions under those. It was just a breathtaking photography display that he's done as a physician. That was the composition of people that I saw. Now, how could it be that a group that I grew up with in rural Ohio has a group where not a single one that I can identify even went on to college other than me? I mean, I, I am the lone exception as far as I can tell, and I have pretty good records of that, that group. And then I go to another group where it would seem to be, this was a group where high achievement is not really even encouraged. You know, geez, we heard the Bible verses, pride goeth before the fall. You know, don't promote yourself, stay behind the scenes. Just get through this little measly earthly existence here. So we go back to heaven, you know, and spend time in eternity. I mean, that that's kind of an abbreviated theology, but how in the world are these two groups so diametrically different and different in the opposite ways that you would expect them to be? Well, I think it comes from what we call mindset. There's a book titled Mindset. Carol Dweck wrote that, and it really kind of unpacks what I have observed here. We can have a fixed mindset and that's one in which you view your talents and abilities as fixed. In other words, you know, you're, you're who you are, your intelligence and talents are fixed. Where you're born, your fate is to just pretty much continue to repeat what you've seen. That's a fixed mindset. A growth mindset, on the other hand, is one in which you see yourself, you know, as a work in progress. Your fate is one of growth and opportunity. You know, what are you going to do to determine your future? Kind of things that you hear me talk about all the time, certainly based on a growth mindset. I think that's the difference. I mean, here's a couple of clues. If you think this, this would come from, from a fixed mindset. Your intelligence is something very basic about you that you can't change much. You can learn new things, but you really can't change how intelligent you are. You're a certain kind of person and there's not much that can be done to really change that. You can do some things differently, but the important parts of who you are really can't be changed. Now, those would be a fixed mindset. Here are some statements that would come out of a growth mindset. No matter how much intelligence you have, you can always change it quite a bit. Um, no matter what kind of person you are, you can always change substantially. You can always change basic things about the kind of person you are. Now, those are going to be growth mindset kind of things. But now when we look at these two high school class reunions, do you think that there's a, a vast difference in IQ as an example or in personality style? No, no. I think both groups probably had a full spectrum of IQ. I don't think one was higher than the other, but I think it's one of those things that just comes from a fixed mindset where I grew up in that little town in Ohio. I think the expectation both of the teachers and the people in a town, this is just the way it's always been. And this is the way it's going to be. 
You get out of school, you get a job with a company, you put in your 30 years, you get a little retirement package, and you, you know, sit on the front porch for the next 30 waiting to die if you last that long, and most don't. Whereas going to this boarding school, somehow the expectations were different. We came with such varied backgrounds, and we were in an environment that took us out of our home communities, for one thing. So that change was forced. We were able to see things, experience things that most of us had never experienced before. And I think it just opened Pandora's box, so to speak, in terms of us seeing possibilities. And thus, we have those people with some amazing accomplishments that came out of that group. Well, you know, what an opportunity for those of us who are parents to recognize the challenges and opportunities we have in helping our children either end up with fixed or growth mindsets. You know, Jeremy Coward is a friend of friend of mine. Many of you recognize him as a world-renowned photographer. His work is breathtaking. He just recently traveled with the Pope when the Pope was in the United States as the official photographer taking photos. Jeremy says, I made a D in my only photography class and nearly failed it. Did you know I was fired from my first job because I wasn't creative enough? Did you know that my loudest inner voice was the phrase, I can't? Those are the kind of things he had to overcome. Those are the kind of things that he had to pick up on with a growth mindset and say, well, you know, it's just not going to stay that way. Now, here's a couple of other quick examples. Christopher Reeves, remember when he had his horrible accident back in 1995? His neck was broken. His spinal cord was severed from the brain. He was completely paralyzed below the neck. Medical science said, sorry, Christopher, just come to terms with it. You'll never move again from the neck down. However, Christopher started a demanding exercise program that involved moving all parts of his paralyzed body with the help of electrical stimulation. He just simply asked himself, why couldn't he learn to move again? Why couldn't his brain send signals through his body in ways that maybe surpassed or bypassed his spinal cord? Well, five years later, he started to regain movement. First, it happened in his hands, then his arms, then his legs, then his torso. Now, he was never totally cured, but the brain scan showed that his brain was once more sending signals to his body that the body was responding to. Not only, not only was he stretching his abilities, but he changed the entire way science thinks about the nervous system and its potential for recovery. You may know the name Marva Collins as this amazing teacher. Now, she took inner-city Chicago kids who had failed in the public schools, and instead she just treated them like geniuses. Now, a lot of these kids have been labeled learning disabled, retarded, emotionally disturbed Virtually all of them were apathetic, no light in their eyes, no hope in their face. I mean, it, and what happens, and it's been shown time and time again, if you send kids into the classroom and you tell teachers, this student can't learn, this is a D student, this student has a, an IQ of 103, you know, they're never really going to amount to much, that's exactly what happens. Marva Collins just simply didn't do that. She started with a second grade public school class with the lowest level readers there were. By June, they had reached the middle of the fifth grade readers studying Aristotle, Aesop, Tolstoy, Shakespeare, Poe, Frost, and Dickinson along the way. Later when she started her own school, 
the Chicago Sun-Times came in for an interview and the reporter saw four-year-olds writing sentences like, see the physician. And Aesop wrote fables and talking about diphthongs and diacritical marks. He observed second graders reciting passages from Shakespeare, Longfellow, Kipling. I mean, it goes on and on. I love this concept. You can decide. This is not something that is you are born with. You can decide. Do you have a fixed mindset or do you have a growth mindset? Now, in looking back, I mean, I was always the kind of kid who said, why can't that tractor go faster? Why can't we climb that hill on our bicycles? You know, why can't we grow popcorn and sell it beside the street? I mean, I somehow, and I certainly have to credit my parents for a lot of that. I can't remember specifics, but somehow in that environment, I was just convinced that more was possible no matter what. I mean, I didn't, I I had an IQ test that I did on myself or had it done when I was getting my master's degree in psychology. But before that, we never really paid attention to those kind of things. I just kept seeing opportunities. Well, fun stuff. If you want to get the book, you know, check out the book Mindset. Um, And it's just one that I read recently and it just helped me frame that recent experience so that I could finally get my head around what I think occurred there. But it's been a a very profound experience for me personally because of having grown up all those years with a particular group, seeing the outcome now years later, and then going into an entirely different group where the, the expectations typically would have been lower. And yet that is not the results that we have observed. Probably, probably a doctoral thesis in there somewhere. If somebody wants to pursue that, I'll give you the, the raw data. You can go from there. Well, here's a question. Emily says, how do you know when an opportunity is from God? Emily says, we went through Financial Peace University with some friends. Shortly after, the wife quit her part-time job in a florist shop with no real plan, but a desire to do something else. Soon after, she was presented with an opportunity to buy a floral shop that had closed its doors recently. She bought the business, claiming it as a gift and opportunity from God and as an answer to her prayers. I'm aware it's really none of my business, but I'm wrestling with this idea. Would God provide an opportunity that goes against his word and his principles for money? For example, the borrower is slave to the lender. I was wondering if you could please shed some light on this situation and more generally, how to know if opportunities are actually from God. Well, Emily, this is a a deep question. I love the question. And I'm certainly going to give you some thoughts on it. It's something we're going to, all of us, continue to research and develop our own understanding of that. Certainly an important question. How do you know when opportunities from God? Here's how I frame that. There has to be a confirmation in multiple ways for me to know it's from God. But I don't have to hear a voice from the sky to know if it's a fit for me. I, I really think knowing it's from God simply means we recognize that it blends our passions, our talents, our preparation and position. I mean, others may tell us this fits you perfectly. Or they may discourage us, but overall, there has to be more pluses than minuses. Now, here's how I've experienced this personally. If somebody tells me, Dan, I have a word from God for you. You need to sell everything you've got. Move to Haiti to help build schools and teach the local kids there how to educate themselves and start businesses. 
Now, I'm, if somebody told me that today, I would probably think, gee, what did you have for dinner last night that disturbed your sleep? So, you know, that's nuts. I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm comfortable in doing what I'm doing. A lot of affirmation doing what I'm doing. This is where I need to be. Sorry, that wasn't a word from God. You know, you heard something else. Maybe that's for somebody else. But if in the last 30 days, every time I turn on the TV, I was seeing things about Haiti. Golly, I picked up a magazine a couple of days ago, and the first thing I flipped to was an article on Haiti. Joanne mentioned that she just talked to someone who just returned from Haiti, and that person mentioned how helpful my materials would be there. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm seeing a pattern. Wow, again and again and again, this is coming up. Then if somebody has that word from God for me, I'm more likely to pay attention. Say, wow, there's a pattern here. God is really showing me some things that fit together. I need to pay attention. But now here's how we have to, we have to be careful about black and white applications of our personal understanding of Scripture. Now, Emily, you referenced the one, the borrower is slave to the lender. All right? But if we, if we pull Scripture out, just singular passages like that, we can get into trouble real quickly. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now, I grew up in our church. We knew, based on that, the Bible said, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. And that really meant, you know, down around your neck, you know, past your ears, it's a shame. The Bible says don't do that. For a woman to have long hair, it's a glory to her. Women do not cut their hair. That was the tradition I was raised in. Well, most people in today's society don't take those scriptures that literally. They frame it based on the context back then, based on the culture we have now. Those kind of things. Now, I'm not saying we need to just water down the Bible, but I'm saying we all have a lens through which we see any particular scripture. When it comes to business, I view consumer debt differently than business debt. I mean, it's much different to me if somebody goes out and they buy $300 worth of merchandise that they're going to put on Amazon because they have a track record of being able to sell it there and triple their money. That's a lot different even if you use a credit card to do that, then if you go out and buy a big screen TV, something that's just going to diminish in value instantly. But let me just use another example here. We still justify buying a house and having a mortgage. I mean, even people in FPU, you know, that we consider that to be an okay debt. So people aren't going to question that. How many people do you know who bought a house When the market was high, they overextended themselves and now they're trapped in a house where they owe more than it's worth. Let's say that that same couple had continued renting a little apartment instead of buying a house. But now they have an opportunity to buy a floral shop. It blends their knowledge, their ability, their passions, their talents. She had already been working in a floral shop, so she had a great understanding of both the design and the business sides of that. They're given that unusual opportunity to walk into an existing business that just had been run poorly. 
Six months later, they paid off the $10,000 they borrowed, and now they're making $8,000 a month in net profit doing something that they absolutely love. Which would have been the wiser investment? The house or the floral shop? Well, to me, I would love to encourage them in that idea about the floral shop. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do that are based on making wise decisions. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, the borrower slave to the lender when they weren't thinking about what they were borrowing and got themselves in trouble. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop with that. But how do you know when an opportunity is from God? Yeah, like, great question, Emily. But I think you ought to see a pattern in your own life, have a lot of affirmation in your own life that things line up. There's an alignment, confirmation in many ways. You can say, yes, this is what I'm going to move into. Well, Tim and Karen say, several years ago, my wife and I attended your Coaching with Excellence program. We left feeling invigorated and excited, but then life, fear, and other things stalled our progress. But now we're ready to go again. Listening to your podcast and others has reignited this desire we have. We want to coach by holding people accountable to their goals, to lose weight, to read more, to start a business. We envision an initial meeting to define what it is they want to accomplish and the time period involved. Then we'll offer three different packages with different amounts of contact via email and or Skype. Do you think this is a viable idea? Is it too broad of an idea? Well, I don't think it's too broad. I mean, I'm, I mean, certainly you, I would encourage you to frame it in a particular area, not just anything that people want to accomplish, but if it is in the weight area, then be a specialist in that area. If it is to read more, to start a business, focus, don't just have anything that you want to accomplish. We're just going to hold your feet to the fire. I think that is perhaps too broad and it positions you just as a generalist with no clear area of focus. So I would encourage you to Focus in on one or two areas. These are the areas where we really help people the most. But then can you position yourself as a coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And scan through some of the coaches that you find on 48days.net. Go to Coaching with Excellence, and you'll see about, I think there's about 500 coaches in there. And um, those are people who are coaching in all kinds of different areas. There are people who are coaching in gardening and creativity sculpting, you know, diabetes, raising kids. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I ought to make an exhaustive list at some point of all the different coaches that we're seeing that have come through the doors here. Well, Michael says, I own two e-commerce stores, onlytowelwarmers.com and snackshacksupplies.com. But that's a mouthful. Can't say it snackshacksupplies.com. In 2016, I would like to spend more time and energy targeting B2B sales and local sales. I live outside Nashville, Tennessee. Do you have any cost-effective ideas of how to reach these markets? Well, for one thing, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing, that are selling online. And I don't know that you, in targeting B2B, business to business, it's not that you have to target people that are near or businesses near Nashville, Tennessee. Those businesses could be in Columbus, Ohio, or in Seattle or Houston. So, and to reach those kind of people, for one thing, I would encourage you to get involved in the groups where they really understand 
Amazon online e-commerce selling. Here's a link for you. It's just brand new. If you go to 48days.com slash Amazon, it'll take you right to a keynote address that I gave recently to a bunch of Amazon sellers. But there's also some free goodies right under that video. So go to go to 48days.com slash Amazon and you'll see that. One of those is Jim Cockrum's book on silent sales machine, how to sell online. And that's going to include how to sell both to the end consumer and to retailers, other businesses as well. I'd start with that. Just connect with people who are doing it successfully. Learn from them. You can get up to speed real quickly. Karen says on a previous podcast, you mentioned that you write a thousand words every day. When you write, is it with a particular project in mind or do you just sit down and write? No, Karen, it is always with a very specific project in mind. I never sit down and just force myself to start putting words on a page. I don't, I I really don't see much value in that. So I'm not just pushing myself through the exercise, the practice of writing. No, I have content. I have lists of content that I want to develop at any given time. You know, I have, I may have 20 topics that I want to develop. So when I sit down to write, it's to write in one of those particular areas. You know, like I just talked a little bit ago about mindset. I mean, that's something that I want to develop into a couple blogs to kind of share that concept, how it's so important to recognize in ourselves and choose a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. So that's something I could sit down and write a thousand words on that. But it's always with a very specific end goal in mind. Mike says, I was just checking on the invention website that you mentioned frequently, frequently quirky. And as of September 22nd, 2015, a month ago, Quirky has filed voluntary bankruptcy. Hope they find another home for the Quirky community. Well, I'm very aware of that. It's one of those painful things. They grew so exponentially and they invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in some projects, inventions that were brought to them where they didn't really research the market that well. And they are upside down and unfortunately have filed bankruptcy. It's a concept that I really believed in. It was where they were essentially crowdsourcing all the pieces of getting an idea up and running. So you, as the inventor, bring an idea into them. They'd ask their audience and they had real audiences where they'd meet like on Friday nights and then virtual audiences. You know, do you think this is an idea that carries any water? Should we move forward? And if the audience said yes, they'd move forward. Then they'd get volunteer designers other people to go through the patenting process and all of that. It's a great model. And then at the end, when a, when a product actually got legs out there and sold, everybody would benefit financially, but they just got in over their heads. And unfortunately they're in trouble. Uh, the best alternative I know right now is edisonnation.com. Um, I'll keep you appraised of some other good resources that come along. Again, I'm sure there will be something to fill the gap that quirky leaves behind, but Edison nation is a place that where you can get started. Anita sent me a note along with a whole bunch of other people. And it's regarding the fact that REI is going to be closed on Black Friday. Now you think about that. Most stores recognize Black Friday if they're in retail could be the biggest retail day of the entire year. REI, the outdoor sports company, is going to close all 143 stores for that day. So instead of reporting to work, they're paying their employees to to do what we love most, be outside. I love that. Now, I'm sure there's a whole lot of marketing brains that went into that, 
that thought that through before they just pulled the trigger. But what a, that is a, a contrarian idea, which Anita shared. Uh, it's very contrarian. I love that. It goes totally against against the common thinking. And I love that. And I suspect they're going to get so much free publicity from doing that, that it'll be more than made up in sales that come in subsequent days in the stores. Love it, love it, love it. David says, first of all, I want to thank you for the tremendous influence you've had. You've been in my journey, shaping the life my wife and I desire. At times, all I see is how far we have to go. But every now and then, like just last week, someone observing from the outside comments on how we have found a way to do what we love and remain independent. Much of that is thanks to your many encouragements. I'm currently at a pivotal point of building a platform in order to generate speaking engagements and thereby increase our annual income. If you take even a cursory look at my website, you'll see that I'm interested and involved in many things, cultural intelligence, global awareness and engagement, building bridges of understanding, foreign language learning, other learning processes, leadership, lifestyle, and I could go on. I'm having a really tough time narrowing my focus in order to determine my target audience. I've learned enough from you, Michael Hyatt, and others that I need to define my core message in order to find my tribe. Any advice as to how to go about this painful process of elimination will be much appreciated. Well, David, you're right on track, man. I love what you're doing. Love the stuff that you've the show up there on your site, but it is all over the map. You are so right. I mean, when you, even on your speaking page, you say David is available to speak on a variety of topics related to culture, the intersection of faith and culture, foreign language. And then you list some of the topics. Yeah. That would scare me away as an event planner instantly. I want to know you are the go-to guy for this. Wow. I mean, one of the topics you've got there is to see ourselves as others see us, how the U.S. is perceived in the rest of the world and why it matters. Bingo. Stop. Make that your focus. I mean, that's a great example of being very specific on a topic that's a real hot, emotional kind of topic. If you're the expert in that topic, then you're the guy I want to come in and talk to my people who are doing international business because we need to know how others around the world see us as Americans. That's what I would do. Now, here's the thing with creative people. You know, we always have lots of ideas, more ideas than we could possibly implement. That's a great starting point. It's a wonderful starting point. But that's all it is, is a starting point. At some point, we have to narrow down. So I would say, come up with 30 things that you could talk on. But then knowing what you know about yourself, filter down to the four or five that are really the best that fit you and that fit together. And then narrow that even more. So you have two or three topics that are all closely tied together. Draw on something you're passionate about and give you an opportunity to get in the game and be a successful paid speaker. You're going to have a hard time getting traction if you're all over the map and just a generalist. It doesn't mean you can't speak on those other things. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy those other things or have authority there or knowledge there. But it just means if you're going to build a speaking platform and business, you have to become known for something. All right. Hey, one more. Luke says, my father-in-law is a hematologist and oncologist. He's 74, still works seven days a week. He has his medical practice, teaches, does hospice one week every month and does rounds at the hospital. My question is, do you have suggestions of how I could help him start a business that would allow him to stop trading time for money? I appreciate any advice you can give. I love your podcast and book. Please continue the good work, inspiration you provide. 
Well, thanks for your comments, Luke. And, and wow, your father-in-law is a hematologist, oncologist, 74, still works seven days a week. Well, my first question is, is he unhappy with what he's doing? I mean, I know some 74-year-old physicians who are extremely busy because that's exactly what they love doing and they want to continue doing that. So um, make sure that he's not happy with the way things are. You know, he may have a nest egg where he doesn't have to worry about retirement if and when that time comes, but he just is continuing doing what he's doing. Now, if that's not the case, if he in fact is desperately worn out, burned out, looking for a way to get out of what he's doing seven days a week, then certainly there ought to be ways that he can take his unique knowledge as a hematologist and oncologist, his unique knowledge and share that. That could be through teaching a couple days a week at a medical school. It could be through doing workshops or seminars once or twice a month. It could be through doing a little ebook on a particular topic application for one of those areas. It could be in creating a little audio program or an instructional manual for parents of children who have unique blood diseases. I mean, you can get that specific, but all those things that I'm talking about then allow ways where you can do something once and get paid for it 10,000 times. That's really the question that you're asking here. And are there things that he can do based on his experience? Yeah, absolutely. There ought to be some really cool things that he can pull right out of his unique area of expertise that he can leverage into residual ongoing income. Well, more questions as always. Hey, love those. Keep them coming in. Go to 48days.com. Click on the Ask Dan link if you've got a question you want to shoot in for an upcoming podcast. We're glad to consider that and include it in the things that we talk about here. Well, we're out of time again. The time has gone quickly as always. Love this time of the week. This is my favorite time of the week when I can open that magic mailbox, look at your questions, discuss these things together, have fun, just imagining how we can move our level of success up. And it is so possible. Hey, keep a growth mindset. Remember our quotation for today from James Allen, the world steps aside for the man who knows where he is going. Well, I hope it's been helpful for you. Just me having the opportunity to think through some of the things that we've had an opportunity to discuss today. Hey, check out our events coming up for next year. If you're interested in joining those coaches we talk about, lots of people will be coming to those events. We're filling those up. The three times we have scheduled for 2016, you can go to 48days.com, check on live events, and see the dates for next year on there. You can also check out the Coaching Mastery Program that I talked about. You can also, we got information coming about Innovate, the event we're going to bring back one time for this year. We did that a couple years ago. That's for anybody who really is creative and having a hard time putting legs in those creative ideas. That's going to be the event. It's going to be in May, the end of May, 26th and 27th, right here at the Sanctuary. We're already excited about some of the fun things we're going to share with you and the people we're going to bring to you for that event. Also, we'll be doing Shawshank again. Uh, got the dates. That'll be early August. All those things and more you can discover. Be planning now. What are you going to do that's going to break you out of the normal, the traditional, the predictable future that may be in sight for you right now? What are you going to do to move into that growth mindset? Make sure that you are, in fact, joining the ranks of those who are 
finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 48 days to the work you left.